Welcome to this episode of TechLink in Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, the Director of Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management tool for all things tax, trusts, pensions, and much, much more. I'm delighted to be joined by Nikki Patel, who is a tax and trust consultant at Technical Connection, and also by Barbara Gardner, who is a senior tax and trust consultant at Technical Connection. Nikki and Barbara, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you both? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. And how are you, Eddie? Yeah, brilliant. And Barbara? Yes, me too. It's it's nice to see you again. Excellent, excellent. Um, so Barbara, perhaps we could um, uh, start uh, with you. Just uh, this this uh, podcast is all about protection trust for business owners. Um, is there a particular reason why you feel it's so topical? Right. Well, one of the reasons is that recently I came across some statistics from the Office for National Statistics about mortality rates. It's one of my uh, uh, favourite subjects, having been an underwriter for Life Office some time ago. Uh, And what was interesting, I think, uh, was just looking at what's happened over the years. I think we're all aware of the fact that, obviously, mortality rates were higher during the last two years, uh, largely because of pandemic, but but not only. And in fact, uh, the mortality rates in England and Wales fell steadily from 1995 to 2011. Then they kind of stayed about the same until 2019. And of course, the last two years were, uh, were highest mortality rates since World War II. So it's kind of shocking picture. But what is also more interesting is that mortality rates for 2021 although they were higher than in 2019, they were in fact lower than 2020. But another interesting point was that whilst mortality for ages 65 plus, that is retired people, was 7% lower than in 2020, for those under 65, the mortality rates in 21 were higher more than 3% than in 2020. So you, you're looking at people who haven't yet got to 65 and, and more of them are dying. So that's one of the reasons why uh, perhaps protection, you know, as in life cover in the event of death or serious illness is, is more topical. And of course, for business owners, I think generally protection is often neglected anyway, but business owners is a particular category because business owners have special protection needs, not just for to protect the financial well-being of the family, but also protecting the value and even viability of their business should anything happen to them. So I think it's a good time to, to talk about this. And protection is incredibly uh, topical uh, as a subject. And I think, you know, a- across the nation, there's a, a lot of underinsurance as well. Um, so uh, absolutely, it, it, it certainly feels like a topical subject. So Nikki, um, when we talk about business owners, um, it feels a bit generic. Should we be a little bit more specific uh, uh, when, we're, when we're trying to categorise them? That's actually a really, really excellent point, um, Eddie, because essentially categorisation of the different business types is going to be crucial because protection needs, of course, and how they can be satisfied will very much depend on the type of the business and, of course, um, how that business is taxed. 
So as you know, in the UK, we've got um, four types of business vehicles. So what you're looking at here is your sole traders, your conventional partnerships, um, and also you've got your limited liability partnerships, and of course, companies. So very briefly, and I'm not going to go into the depth of each one, but very briefly, let's just talk about each one in turn. So the sole traders, I mean, these are you know, commonly referred to as a simple business type, because essentially what you've got is, well, the name speaks for itself, it's a sole trade. So you've got one individual who's responsible for effectively setting up and running that business. And of course, they would be the, the person who owns the whole business and would be taxed to any income tax on any profits. Moving on to your partnerships, so your conventional partnerships, this is where you would have two or more individuals and they would own and run the business. Note that a partnership in England and Wales, because the rules are uh, different in Scotland, but in England and Wales, a partnership is not a separate legal entity. So effectively, what that means is that the partnership itself can't own property or assets. Essentially, that's all owned by the partners. There will, of course, be a set of accounts for the firm, but for tax purposes, it's effectively transparent. So what I mean by that is you would tax each partner to income tax on their share of the profits. Moving on to your limited liability partnerships, then, these are similar to conventional partnerships. Um, so again, it's a business structure where there would be two or more partners but here, the difference is that the partnership is set up as a separate legal entity, which means that the partner's liability is limited to the amount of capital that they um, have contributed. However, for the purposes of business ownership and taxation, again, there is no difference um, in terms of the, the same as the conventional partnership, because again, you, it's transparent and you would tax those partners to income tax. With a company, um, a company is a separate legal entity, so it is a separate person in law, even though it's formed again by a group of individuals, and those individuals are responsible for running the business. However, because it's a separate legal entity, the company itself would own property and enter into contracts, and of course it can borrow against it. And companies are taxed differently because a company pays corporation tax on any um, profits earned. Um, so really, when we look at the business needs, um, what we need to be mindful of is the type of business and the solutions will primarily depend on, you know, the type of business that we're, we're considering. And that's what we're going to go on to discuss. That's really interesting, Nikki. And um, just for, for, for my clarification, um, what about um, where it's a sole trader? Um, how can they satisfy their, their, their requirements? Well, I think in most cases, as I said, you know, because it's a solely owned business, a sole trader's business and personal needs are going to be identical, given that they're solely responsible for running the business and also for owning it. So for a sole trader, their primary concern will, of course, be around family protection. So thinking about is there adequate protection in place for their family members? So if we're considering the position on death, 
then any life cover in this case should be written under a suitable personal trust for the intended beneficiaries. And this would normally be a discretionary trust, but of course could be an absolute trust if the sole trader is certain of who they wish to benefit. Another factor for them to consider is, of course, income protection um, in the event of terminal or critical illness. So here, it is possible to take out a separate policy, which would not need to be written into trust, or, or it could be written as part of any life cover, in which case, if it is written as part of life cover, then the policy could be written into a split trust, whereby the sole trader would benefit from the terminal illness benefit should something happen to them. Another factor to think about as well is who, if anybody, is going to take over the business. So are there family members who would be able to take over and run the business or would that be someone else? So, for example, employees could take over the business. If so, an employee trust could be could be considered, which would effectively hold a life policy on the life of the sole trader so that on death there would be some funds available to buy out the business. Although we're not going to look at employee trusts in this particular podcast in any detail, we'll maybe think about that for another time. Um, But in the event that family members are going to continue the business, then there might not be a further need for protection. However, clients need to consider circumstances because if, if the other factor to think about is if there was one child that may take over the business, then are there other children that are being disadvantaged? So here they might want to think about compensating a child or children who have potentially lost out. Um, so again, here they could consider a life policy and trust for any of the other children. And um, and Barbara, what if the business is run as a limited company? Right. Well, a sole trader, of course, can, can also run their business as a limited company, as you only need one shareholder to set up a company. And of course, in such a case, the considerations will be similar to those uh, for sole traders, as, as Nikki discussed. Or, of course, you'll be looking at passing the shares on death, assuming the business does not die with the owner rather than, say, business assets. Um, the situation will become rather different where there are two or more shareholders. And again, starting point for any business would be to to see whether it's a family business so that succession in favour of those family members who are involved in the business is secured or or not. If it's a family business, again, there may be a point that some of the family members, say some of the children will will carry on the business and, and others will not. So again, as Nikki discussed, there may be a need to provide compensation for those other children using a, a, a life policy in, in personal trust for the benefit of those not involved in the business. However, if there are two or more non-related shareholders, then there will be an issue of business succession on death or disability or serious illness or any of them that will have to be considered. And in most cases between unrelated shareholders, this would usually involve an option agreement for share purchase with the surviving or continuing shareholders purchasing the shares of the deceased or incapacitated shareholder 
and with the funding for this purchase provided via um, life cover or combined life cover with critical illness or terminal illness, depending on when the purchase is, is obviously to take place. And this is where the so-called business trusts come into their own. So by business trust, we mean a trust which is used by owners of the business. And uh, in this case, of course, we're looking at shareholders in a, in a limited company. Um, but as Nikki will explain later, similar considerations will apply to, to partners. But basically, it's a trust used by the business owners in connection with life assurance or life assurance with serious illness cover, which is affected to fund share purchase in the event of one of the business owners, the shareholders becoming critically ill or dying. Now, it's important to remember that there is no such thing as one business trust. There are all kinds of trusts and these are offered usually by providers offering, offering um, life protection and they will not necessarily be the same. Some will be fully discretionary trust, although these days it is more uh, popular to have an interest in possession trust. Some will include the settler as a potential beneficiaries, and I will come to uh, this point in, in a moment, why it can happen without adverse tax implications, but some will not. Uh, some will include automatic reversion to the settler, and some will include a power of appointment. So, uh, obviously, whenever an advisor is recommending a, a, a business trust with a protection policy, and this may be a trust provided by us, or it may be a trust provided by uh, uh, the actual provider, then these provisions will have to be checked and, and verified that this is the suitable trust for the uh, particular client. Now, the imp most important feature of these trusts is that they will be used by business partners, obviously co-shareholders in terms of shareholders in a limited company, dealing with each other at arm's length or otherwise on a commercial basis. In such circumstances, no gifts are involved, so it is possible for the settler of each trust to be a potential beneficiary under this trust without this bringing the arrangement into the gift with reservation of benefit provisions. Now, this may be useful if the settler leaves the business, obviously otherwise than for death or critical illness that is covered by the policy, as the policy can then revert back to the settler in some circumstances. And as I said, sometimes the trust may provide for this happen to happen automatically, and sometimes the trustees may have to make an appointment in his favor. However, as I said, because you'll be dealing with unconnected parties at arm's length, this is basically possible. So it's a special type of trust. However, for this to work, so we don't have the problem with inheritance tax gift with reservation provisions, it is essential that only the individuals who are taking part in the share purchase arrangement 
are beneficiaries under the trust. Right? Remember always there is this point commerciality in dealing with each other at arm's length, which means no gifts are intended at any point, which also means that only the individuals who are actually taking part in the arrangement can benefit. And usually a trust will actually include some sort of proviso that only those individuals who enter into the arrangements and each of whom affects a policy under a similar trust, so basically each will take a policy under a trust for each other, that only those people can be beneficiaries under a trust. Now, this is a very important point to remember because very often client will say, well, what if we decide to dissolve a company, each goes their own way, couldn't then my family step into the, into the trust as a potential beneficiary? And actually, no, if you want to have this, as a business arrangement at arm's length, then you must not mix family members with business partners as potential beneficiaries. Obviously, if family members are, are also shareholders in the company taking part in the, in the share purchase arrangements, then they can be beneficiaries, but not otherwise. Another point to remember is that um, to make sure that the arrangement is commercial, then each of the parties has to be seen as contributing pretty much equal amount to the overall cost of the premiums. So you may have come across the term premium equalization, because obviously if you have a disparity, have one shareholder much older than the other or different state of health, one will be paying higher premiums for the benefit of another one who will be paying lower premiums, then it will not look very much commercial because one will be paying less for potentially receiving a lot more. And one final point to remember is that business trusts in these arrangements should only ever be used at the time the policy is proposed for, i.e. at the application stage or proposal stage, because otherwise there are potential capital gains tax implications which should be avoided. Now, there are other aspects of these trusts, uh, depending on the type of trust it is, and if the policy pays out, there could be potential IHT implications because the trust will be relevant property trust. And if the settler is one of the beneficiaries, potentially in some extreme cases, there may be pre-owned asset tax provisions applying because there will be no gift with reservation problems. But uh, that is a little bit too much detail for the purpose of the podcast. There is a lot more on this on tackling. It sounds like quite a complex area for uh, for a lot of uh, individuals uh, running business. So taking advice is obviously a really important aspect. And just thinking about um, business trust, Barbara, um, could they be used for uh, key person purposes as well? Well, it's a very good point. Key person, of course, is another business need that business people need to, need to be concerned about, not like just business succession, but what we refer to as business continuation, which is uh, affecting key person cover on those who are key. Obviously, with most businesses that are run by their owners, and we're talking about business owners, the business owner is most 
likely to be the key person. And very often in, in small businesses, when you have several shareholders, and they will all be key persons. So if you have a situation where all the shareholders who are taking part in share purchase arrangements are key persons, then there is no problem in extending the life cover to include some key person cover, because basically then you will have the cover under the trust payable to the other shareholders, which is, you know, having it in the right hands, because it's the other shareholders who will have the funds. They can then inject the funds into the company, into the business uh, uh, as a form of key person cover. But this will only work if basically all the shareholders are key persons. If not all the shareholders are key persons, then if you're dealing with limited company, you would have the company taking out the policy on the life of key person, and then the funds will be paid to the company. That would be more typical sort of arrangements. But the main reason for not allowing business trust to use as a key person policy if you remember the point I've just mentioned earlier, that only the individuals who take out similar policies under similar trusts should benefit under a trust. So if you have a, one person who is a, more key than others, or is one person who is, who is the key person, then if that person were to take out a policy on their own life for the benefit of the other shareholders under a business trust without those other shareholders taking uh, similar policies because they are not key persons, then the arrangement will no longer be commercial because potentially you will have people benefiting under the trust who have not taken a similar policy under a similar trust. So if you have a situation where not all the business owners, not all the shareholders are key, then business trust will not be advisable in such circumstances. And, um, and Nikki, so we've heard a lot about um, businesses. What about partnerships? How do they fit into this? Well, um, as I previously mentioned, the broad differences between a conventional partnership and a limited liability partnership, even though those differences do apply, regardless of those differences, um, actually, for the purposes of business succession, it makes no difference whether you've got a conventional partnership or a limited liability partnership, because you still need to consider what is going to happen to each partner's share in the event of um, death or terminal illness. And again, how is that going to impact on family members? So similar to the aspects that I covered there earlier for sole traders, but here, I think it's also a case of really, really thinking about what would the partners want to happen to their share of the partnership? So who, if anyone, is going to run that, carry on running that business? Is that going to be family members, for example? Or in the event that it's unlikely that family members are um, going to carry on running the business, then you need to think about um, general business succession. So here, very common is that each partner 
would take out a life policy on their own life with or without terminal or critical illness um, benefit attached to it. And that would be written in a business trust using a, an option agreement. So similar, um, uh, well, similar to the points uh, mentioned by Barbara with regards to shareholders. Um, also, occasionally, of course, you may come across um, clients with partnerships that um, what's basically going to happen is that on death or retirement, the partner's business interest will automatically pass to the surviving partners so referred to as automatic accrual um, and it would they they those surviving partners can then of course continue to run the business but again here it's going to be vital to think about well if that deceased partner's share is going to pass you know the, the continuing partners are going to run the business then of course that deceased partner's family will then effectively have um, lost out from benefiting so again it's thinking about maybe is there a need to consider protection to compensate those family members for this loss? So again, it may be thinking about um, using a life policy in a personal trust for the benefit of the family in those situations. And um, and Barbara, you you mentioned business trust. Does that does that apply for partnerships as well? Well, business trust is relevant for partnerships where where the partners are taking. Uh, out policies in trust for each other for the purpose of share purchase. Basically, there'll be there'll be no difference if if you're talking about share purchase with each partner entering into an option agreement to purchase the other partner's business interest. And again, it could be whether it, whether it's an LLP or, or conventional partnership. Uh, however, there is something else which is called a partnership trust or partnership key person trust, which is a completely different animal. Now, remember I said a moment ago that business trust should not be used for key person purposes unless all the uh, all the shareholders or all the partners are, are key. And uh, with partnerships, as with limited companies, if all the partners are key to the business, then they could add on extra uh, life cover to the policy they're taking out for share purchase purposes. And uh, sometimes we used to call it you know, killing two birds with one stone, so one policy for two different purposes. But again, as with shareholders, as with all business trusts, this will only work if all the partners, all the parties to the arrangements are key. On the other hand, if you have one partner who is a key person, then you couldn't use business trust for uh, for key person purposes. And obviously, with a partnership in England and Wales not being a legal person, it means that the business itself cannot take out a policy on the life of one of the partners for its own purposes. You need to be a legal person to do this. In Scotland, that's possible with partnership in Scotland being able to take out a policy on the life of one partner as a key person cover. In England and Wales, it's not possible. And this is where we have something called partnership trust. Now, it's a different kind of trust. And I said it's a trust which basically provides that the policy is held as partnership property, i.e. on the firm's balance sheet with the trustees of the life policy holding as bad trustees for the partners for the time being. 
So effectively, it is it is on trust for the business, for the partners, for the time being. So uh, such a trust can be used also if if a key person in a partnership is an employee of the partnership, and you would have uh, the partner, if the partner is the key person, taking out the policy subject to this trust, and. Uh, it, no gifts are involved effectively. It's just a declaration that it is the policy is held as an asset of the partnership and it's then included on partnership balance sheet. If partners change, then the shares of the partners will also change it basically on the same basis as the capital sharing ratios of the business partners. Nikki, um, so... We've covered a lot of different trusts there. There's one that, that I have heard about that we haven't mentioned yet, which is um, Relevant Life. Um, could you explore that and any other trusts that you think are relevant? Yeah, um, so basically um, that is relevant to businesses which are effectively run as limited companies. So aside from business cover, in this case, you'd mainly be considering um, a shareholding director where there will be a need for protection for their family members. And a relevant life policy is basically um, a single life death in service policy, which can be considered where there's an employer-employee relationship. Um, And as long as it satisfies the various conditions that are set out in legislation, A relevant life policy provides tax-efficient benefits in the event of death or terminal illness whilst in service um, without it actually being taxed as a benefit in kind. Um, The relevant life policy would normally be written in a special integrated relevant life policy discretionary trust and to comply with certain statutory provisions to qualify as a relevant life policy it's important that um, the classes of beneficiary under that trust are in fact restricted to individuals or, or charities. So, for example, it's not then possible to pay to another trust. Um, it is possible, so you can have terminal illness benefit, can be held for the employee um, you know, under that, but it is important that the, the actual policy does satisfy the conditions set in legislation, um, you know, in order to provide those tax efficient benefits. That's that's really, really helpful. Thanks, Nikki. If I could come back to you just with one question, which I think um, is really topical at the moment around trust registration service. Now, we've talked about a a lot of different trusts here. Um, Do any of these trusts get caught by the trust registration service and and the, the looming deadline uh, for historic trust as well of the 1st of September? Well, on the basis that most, if not all, of these trusts we've been discussing will be holding protection policies, primarily designed to provide life cover or terminal illness cover, then these will basically be excluded trusts. So none of these trusts should need to be registered on TRS. That's That sounds like a huge relief. Um, because I, I know as, as an exercise, it's a it's a significant exercise for a lot of advisors at the moment. And uh, not having to register some trusts is, is obviously going to be a, a real positive. Um, I, if I could. Yes, Barbara, sorry. I just added that uh, if the policy pays out on death or terminal illness, 
again, there will be two years grace before it needs to be registered if the assets, you know, the funds still remain in the trust. In most cases, obviously, given the purpose of these policies, the proceeds will be paid out to the co-partners or co-shareholders to, to, to effect the purchase. So, so again, there should be no need to register. In some odd case, perhaps, there will be a situation where a policy may pay out on critical illness and uh, it is not certain that the purchase, for example, will take uh, place uh, immediately and so the funds need to go into a bank account and be kept for some time. Then again, that two-year period may be relevant, but you would expect something to happen within those two years. So again, the registration shouldn't be relevant. A great interruption there, uh, Barbara. You know, really, really valid points. And, um, and obviously coming back to the fact that if you've got funds in your trust, then then you need to to be registering that trust. Um, I just what we always do at the end of our podcast is we try and and think of um, some some call to action, three three you know three things to to do perhaps um, in relation to the topic. So coming coming back to our theme of protection trust for business owners, um, Barbara, are, are there sort of three key things that you think? Um, advisors should think about when it comes to uh, business trust? Well, I can think of two immediately. Uh, the first one that is there is there is a variety of trusts depending on circumstances. So there is no such thing as a simple a business trust for business people. Everything will depend on circumstances and we've covered, you know, there will be personal trust, split trust, uh, business trust, of course, and uh, key person trust, partnership trust, RLP trust. So, you know, remember, there is no such thing as simple business trust. And two, the crucial point is categorize the business. Very often your business owners may refer to themselves as business partners when in fact they are trading as a limited company. And again, you're talking to a business owner uh, who may be running a sole business as a, as a as a limited company. On the other hand, he may be saying this is my company when in fact he's trading as a as a uh, sole trader. And even with partners, it may not be clear whether they are actually a partnership. Sometimes may they may be talking about their business or their company. And again, it could be a conventional partnership or it could be uh, an LLP. So the categorization is absolutely crucial. Nikki, and, and can Nikki, you add another? Yeah, I think, any, yeah. yeah, actually, on the back of a mezzanine I had uh, not long ago, um, really, really think about reviewing existing arrangements. So there was some cover in place for the, the value of the business, and lucky for the individuals involved, that the value had uh, quadrupled. So actually, the life policies that they had wasn't there wasn't actually sufficient cover for the, the value of the business, you know, when we were looking at it. So really look at those um, existing clients and review your existing arrangements. Brilliant. And um, uh, thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Barbara, for sharing your insights today. Really informative. Uh, it's great to catch up as always. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you very much. The content of this recording strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors 
and take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.